Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, part one of a two-part conversation with the head of the International Coalition for Drug Awareness and the author of Prozac, Panacea or Pandora, she'll reveal the connection between antidepressant medication and mass shootings. It was a group of mutant mice from an experiment that had gone terribly wrong. And these mice lacked the liver enzyme they needed to break down serotonin. So their serotonin levels were naturally very high. And the researchers did not know that in the beginning. They just noticed how extremely violent the mice were. That if they would drop one into a cage with another one, they would just shred one another. Have you subscribed to my free monthly newsletter yet? The Inner Sanctum is jam-packed with news and information, and it's delivered free to your email inbox once a month. All you need to do is register your name and email address at my website, strangeplanet.ca. The Inner Sanctum contains a spotlight on previous guests from my weekly radio program and this podcast. There is my podcast pick of the month, a book club, a This Month in Conspiracy History section, and more. The Inner Sanctum is yours, absolutely free. Again, all you need to do is register at strangeplanet.ca. And once you've registered, your name automatically goes into a monthly draw for great Strange Planet gear for my Strange Planet shop. Register right now at strangeplanet.ca. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Wednesday. And Blake Tracy, the author of Prozac, Panacea, or Pandora, is standing by. She's going to discuss the connection between psychiatric medication and mass shootings. Everyone talks about gun control every single time there is a mass shooting, but nobody wants to talk about these antipsychotic medications, SSRI, secondary serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which appear to be causing homicidal and suicidal tendencies. And you go down the list, all the shooters from Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris, they were on a type of antidepressant. Adam Lanza at Sandy Hook, James Holmes, the shooter at the Aurora Colorado Theater, same thing. Paddock in Vegas was taking, I believe, well, we'll get it from uh, Ann Blake Tracy, but I believe he was taking Valium, uh, which is often used, prescribed, when one is being weaned off. Uh, these SSRIs, and and that is often the most dangerous time, is when someone is getting off the SSRI, and if they don't do it carefully, it can they can sort of crash, and it can cause huge, huge problems. Faisal Hussein, here in Toronto, the Danforth shooting, was on some kind of antipsychotic medication. The Parkland, Florida shooter, who murdered 17, he was on medication for emotional issues, according to his aunt. This is now a familiar story. 
as uh, information information about a, a perpetrator emerges, some relative confides to a newspaper that the troubled youth who committed the mass murder was on psychiatric medications. You know, those powerful little understood mind-altering drugs with fearsome side effects, including suicidal ideation and even homicidal ideation. Yet, the media seem to have very little appetite for exploring this issue. And politicians don't seem to either. Unlike with the uh, the gun issue that can be used to scare people and win votes. Uh, moreover, uh, a lot of companies, pharmaceutical companies, spend far more than any other industry to influence politicians. Having poured... Uh, Close to, oh, I think it's close to $2 billion funding members of Congress over the past decade. This dwarfs the gun lobby's political contributions. Now, we're not saying that correlation means causation, but it does seem to provide clues as to what or where causation may lie. And the correlation between mass shooters and psychiatric drug use certainly exists. There is a correlation. So let's explore that over the next hour or two, actually. Anne Blake Tracy serves as the executive director of the International Coalition for Drug Awareness. She has specialized for 17 years in adverse reactions to serotonergic medications. Those are the SSRIs I've been talking about, such as Prozac, Seraphim, Zoloft, Paxil, Lovux, Celexa, Lexapro, Effexor, and others. Also, uh, a line of atypical antipsychotics and painkillers. She's testified before the FDA and congressional subcommittee members on antidepressants. Since 1992, she has testified as an expert witness in Prozac and other SSRI-related court cases around the world. Some of the more high-profile cases she's, she's worked on would be the murder-suicide of comedian Phil Hartman and his wife, Bryn, the Columbine and Red Lake school shootings, Andrea Yates, that was the Texas mother who drowned her five children, the Atlanta Day Trader, Princess Di's death, the murder-suicide of the royal family of Nepal, Anna Nicole Smith's son Daniel's death, and others. Anne Blake Tracy, how are you? Welcome. I'm fine. How are you? I'm very well. Let's just uh, define some terms here. I always like to, to start a show by doing that. What are secondary serotonin reuptake inhibitors, this class of drugs? What, what does that mean, SSRI? Well, they're actually selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. That's what they call them. But there's really nothing selective about them. <laughs> That's supposed to make you think that they only affect serotonin that that's the only neurotransmitter that they are targeting. But many pharmacists will tell you it's more like a shotgun blast. So So they're not quite as selective as everybody would like to think. But the whole idea is they put out the hypothesis, and I hope everyone remembers this is a theory and a theory only that serotonin is low in depression. That's a neurotransmitter in the brain. And so these drugs are designed to increase the level of serotonin. The problem with that is that research from about 1950 on shows that serotonin is elevated in depression, anxiety, suicide, violent crime, whole long list of things that nobody would ever want to have in their lives. 
it is elevated, not low. So these drugs are elevating the serotonin, thus causing everything that they are telling you that it's supposed to treat, which is why we now see violence everywhere. Suicide has skyrocketed. Um, isn't it almost the leading cause of death in the world today? Uh, it's certainly climbing up there, with particularly with young people. It is, yes. Uh, yeah. It's, it's number just, two, it's maybe. Awful. It is horrible. I mean, when I was growing up, I know of one person that committed suicide. One in our school, and that was it. And he had some—he had some kind of a brain disorder, uh, some kind of an infection in his brain. So everyone assumed that was probably the problem. But one, and look at it now. I mean, I run into kids that know five and six kids that are friends that have committed suicide on these. Right. Is is seroto- uh, are these selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors? Are they? They're not just in antidepressants. They're in in some painkillers as well. Correct. Uh, well, the whole idea is to increase the serotonin, and there are many drugs that do increase serotonin. Many of the painkillers will increase serotonin as well. In fact, there are many drugs out there now that do increase serotonin, and I would encourage everyone to check that medication, put it on Google, put the name of the drug, and add serotonin as well and see what you get with that combination. And could you cite, is there a study that you could cite where it has demonstrated that serotonin can cause suicidal and homicidal, I think the word is, is it ideation? Well, there's 21 pages just of references to medical studies that say that in the back of my book. Those are just references. That's how many there are. There's hundreds. Right. You and I have talked before. uh, You mentioned an experiment with mice. Oh, yes. Talk to me about that. That one talks about the violence. That was done at the University of Southern California, and it is on our website at drugawareness.org. You can find it there. Just do a search for mutant mice if you don't see it right away. That term would bring it right up because it was a group of mutant mice from an experiment that had gone terribly wrong. And these mice lacked the liver enzyme they needed to break down serotonin. So their serotonin levels were naturally very high. And the researchers did not know that in the beginning. They just noticed how extremely violent the mice were, that if they would drop one into a cage with another one, they would just shred one another. And they had never seen anything like this. And so they wanted to find out what on earth was going on with these mice. And that's what they found is that they lack that liver enzyme. And they attributed the extreme violence to the elevated serotonin. The use of these drugs that increase serotonin is so widespread. I mean, they're dispensing them like Pez. Do you have a handle on what percentage of the North American population is taking some sort of medication, psychiatric medication or painkiller that has serotonin in it? 
We don't really know. That kind of information is kept kind of quiet. There are some things that I've seen that would give us some indication, like there was an article this summer saying that 25% of the women in the state of Utah are on them currently. You know, I'd say that if we would guess it would be over 50% of the United States that have taken one of these drugs at one time or another. Right, right. So, I mean, it's safe to say or to characterize the use as widespread. Very. So, in that case, obviously, you know, one mass shooting is one too many, but why are we not seeing even more, given the correlation here? Good question. And that comes back to this liver enzyme, right? It does. Okay, explain. Uh, In fact, if any of the listeners want to follow along, if they go to drugawareness.org and scroll down, not very far at all, you'll see some black circles with different things in them. The second black circle, if you click that, it says mutant mice may hold the key to human violence and excess of serotonin. That's the study that we're talking about. Okay. So this liver enzyme that they were missing is the MAO enzyme. And if you'll remember, there was a group of antidepressants before the SSRIs that were called MAOA inhibitors, which basically tells you the drugs are working pretty much the same way because they were inhibiting that particular enzyme, causing the serotonin levels to rise. So that's the problem is the serotonin level because what the listeners need to understand is that serotonin is the chemical in the brain that LSD and PCP increase. In fact, when they go into the brain, the brain reads it as if it's got a huge rush of serotonin. So if you're lacking the MAOA enzyme, you can't... Or if you're using something that inhibits that enzyme, right? Then like an antidepressant. That prevents you from what, metabolizing the serotonin properly? Right. Okay. So it begins to build up. Right. Now, yep. with LSD and PCP, you get that rush immediately. With these drugs, what they do is gradually inhibit it so that it begins to build up slowly. So instead of an immediate reaction from the drug, you get a very gradual reaction. So it looks like you are going crazy instead of, you are having a psychotic break from a drug you just took. Right. So that's the subtlety behind these drugs that is so frightening. That's why you're hearing, oh, yes, this was a a person with mental illness that just did this. No, they were crazy, blah, blah, blah. Well, they're crazy because the drug has slowly produced an LSD or PCP reaction, and they're hallucinating from the effects of a drug. So what percentage, do we know what percentage of the population is lacking the MAOA enzyme? We don't. We do know that 7 to 10% of the population lack the liver enzyme they need to even metabolize the antidepressant. So as the antidepressant goes to higher levels, of course the serotonin is going to go to higher levels. Right, right. 
I mean, if all patients could have a little meter reader across their forehead so that we knew when they were hitting a toxic level of serotonin, we'd have a pretty good measure of when somebody's going to go on a shooting. Would you, but if you that's were, impossible. if they were to do an autopsy on one of these shooters, would they be able to, I don't know, do no. a biopsy on the liver and determine whether they're missing that enzyme? I think we have tried that in the past, and it has to come from a living human being. It has to be, ah, interesting. Because I know we tried that with a 13-year-old boy that took Zoloft for only six days and hung himself in his closet in the middle of the night, just like Robin Williams did on these drugs. Anyway, they we wanted to be able to find that out. Both of his parents went in and were tested, and they found the weakness in the parents, which would indicate that the son probably had the same problem. So if you had a mass shooter that was taken alive, and obviously that happened in the case of Parkland, you could test... I mean, if every mass shooter that, you know, isn't killed during the attack, if you could test them and you were able to determine that they're missing that enzyme, and if it's in every one of them, wouldn't that demonstrate causation, not just correlation? Yes, and we have used that in the past. And that's especially an issue among uh, several different races. Among the Asians, they have... A serious problem with that and we have been able to show that they haven't warned of that in these cases we had a man that he attacked his children with a hammer and then drowned his two children and himself in the same tub mm. we won that case because of that issue he was from Indonesia I believe what and medication was he on Paxil. Paxil. When you say you won that case, what do you mean? I helped the attorney gather the information to be able to present it in court. There was a wrongful death suit filed for the father and both children. So the family of the victims sued the manufacturer the of Paxil and won. Right. And how often are these cases going to court and how often are the plaintiffs victorious? They're not going to court as often as they are being settled so that they don't go to court because at that point it becomes public. So most of the companies try to settle before. Like, for instance, with Eli Lilly and Prozac, if you do a search for Mitch Daniels, who is in charge of taking care of most of these things for them, the first 10 years he was there, uh, you will find that they paid out billions to settle things like this. My so word. that'll give you some idea. And how, how often are you called as an expert witness in these cases? Probably not as often as I should be because I stay so busy with so many different things. I need to work on that more. I don't actually testify in those cases. What I've testified in are the criminal cases, but I work with the attorneys on the civil cases and helping them to gather what they need to win because the evidence is absolutely overwhelming. By paying out, they are being found 
guilty in a civil proceeding, right? Oh, yes. Is the burden of proof, is it less in a civil trial than it is in a criminal trial? No, it's more difficult in a civil trial Ah, okay. than it is criminal, in my opinion. All right. But there was a case in Wyoming, and I worked that one very closely because I got it to Andy Vickery in Texas, who has worked many of these cases. And so he took it to court, and the man had taken only two pills of Paxil. He only had two doses altogether. And after the second dose, the morning after that second dose, he got up and shot his wife, his daughter who was visiting, and her baby daughter, his granddaughter, and himself. And the jury ruled after hearing all the evidence, including the evidence being presented by their own expert, that it was clear that those two doses of the drug were at least 80% of the reason why it happened. Mm. And they awarded $6.4 million. Should have been billion, in my opinion. So, th- How do you count what somebody's life is worth? Exactly. So this is just then the cost of doing business for these pharmaceutical companies. Exactly. They're willing to pay out because and settle out of court because the profits, I mean, yep. if let's say 25% of North Americans are taking some sort of a serotonin medication, I mean, the profits would be absolutely astronomical. I know. But another thing that happens, which they think is wonderful, I'm sure, is when someone commits suicide or dies on these drugs, what do doctors do? They put their families on them immediately. Oh, Mm. how awful. You've lost a loved one. You need something to cope. Right. And so your brain's scrambled. If they can keep your brain scrambled for two years on one of these drugs, then you can't file. You've only got two years to do it. Ah, interesting. That's how they do it. Mm -hmm. But what do we say, Anne, to the people out there that, let's say they're suffering from depression, and they feel that they are being helped by Paxil or Prozac or Zoloft? I mean, it does seem to be helping some people. There is a stimulant effect, and that will make you feel like you're doing better. I mean, that's why people take cocaine. You know, and cocaine was given for depression years ago. So they know that a stimulant will initially make you feel better, but in the long run will make the depression even worse, which is what they're finding with these antidepressants as well. Their long-term studies are showing that they do far worse and than they do better. I mentioned this off the top, but it's a, and it's a rhetorical question, but I'll get you to respond anyway. And that is, you know, why, why whenever we have these mass shootings, all we hear about is more, is, is gun control. And whenever we hear about suicides, all we hear about is the effects of social media and bullying, which obviously is real. That happens. But they focus on those things. Never do they talk about this elephant in the room which is what we're talking about, the mainstream right. media. Why don't they talk about this? Why don't politicians, why isn't there a congressional hearing on this or a parliamentary hearing here in Canada? There needs to be. 
And I think that Robert Kennedy Jr. made that very clear when he made a statement saying that when he spoke with the producer of a particular news show, a news station, that that producer told him that 70% of their income comes from pharmaceuticals, from pharmaceutical advertising. And he said, if I have a reporter that runs a story that loses me an advertiser, they're gone. More of my conversation with Anne Blake Tracy when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. The people in my life have noticed a real change in me. Richard, you seem so calm, so relaxed, they say. Don't you ever get upset or stressed? Well, of course. I have twin boys, 13 years old. Of course I get stressed. We can't live without stress, but it's true. I'm far more calm, far more relaxed than I've ever been, despite an incredibly hectic schedule. And I'm pretty sure it has a lot to do with that eyedropper of liquid gold I take every day, CBD oil from Ancient Life Oil. It's made from organic, non-GMO, industrial hemp, which is now legal in all 50 states. Do some research on the hemp plant. It's been around for 10,000 years. And did you know our bodies have what's called an endocannabinoid system? Cannabinoid receptors and CBD oil is a cannabinoid. It means our bodies are designed to consume cannabinoids. Our bodies need it, and they do a body good. Don't worry, the CBD from Ancient Life Oil is non-psychoactive, which means you don't catch a buzz, you'll just feel good. Reduced stress, calm, focused. If you have stress and anxiety, get your CBD oil from Ancient Life Oil. It's big relief in a little bottle. CBD oil from ancientlifeoil.com. through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Then, it is violently opposed. Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. Let me just read that again, what that means. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. And Blake Tracy is here discussing our serotonin nightmare. So we were talking about why the media doesn't talk about this elephant in the room, the connection between psychiatric medication and these mass shooters, or this absolute horrific um, suicide pandemic, uh, particularly with young people. You mentioned Robin Williams uh, earlier. Uh, was he yes. on a medication that had serotonin? Oh, yes. Yes, he was on Remeron, and I believe he was also taking Seroquel. Both of them increased serotonin. And he had recently been put on Remeron. And the very first side effect they saw with these drugs is Parkinson's symptoms. And so they diagnosed Robin with Parkinson's symptoms and added an anti-Parkinson drug on top of everything else. And his wife will tell you he died of REM sleep disorder. REM sleep disorder is, in those being diagnosed with that, 86% are taking antidepressants. And what that is, is no paralysis during sleep, 
so that you get up and act out whatever nightmare you're having. And what was the one thing that had been bothering Robin the most, you will find, was a movie that he was in where a young man goes into his closet and hangs himself. So what did Robin do? Mm. Why? Same with comedian Phil Hartman and his wife. Right, right. What happened, uh, just re- re- remind us what happened with, with Phil Hartman. She came in and she shot him while he was sleeping. Uh, yeah, she got up in the middle of the night and took a gun out of the nightstand and shot him. And I believe at that point it brought her out of the sleep state just enough to be confused about what was going on. She got in her car and drove over to a friend's home and was begging them to come back with her and tell her whether or not she had actually shot him or if she was having a nightmare because she wasn't sure which it was. And she had all the toxic signs of serotonin syndrome. She threw up several times while she was there. Her speech was very slurred so that it was hard for them to understand her. Anyway, they came back with her to the home and did confirm that Phil had been shot. And as they walked into the other room, she picked up the phone in the bedroom and called her sister in Wisconsin and just screamed, Kathy, I I shot Phil. Why would I do that? There's no reason for it. She was just totally hysterical. And she begged her to take care of the children because that was in her will that she would, and to tell them that Mommy didn't know what happened. And then she laid down next to Phil and shot herself. Mm. Just horrible. And that case has been settled for the children. It was settled. With yeah. which, which, which pharmaceutical company, do we, can we say? Pfizer. Pfizer. He, she was on Zoloft. And they're pretty mad at me for calling the family the day after their deaths and saying, don't you stop until you find one of these drugs, because trust me, it'll be there. And it was. I mean, I wasn't going to let those kids go through life without either parent and also on top of that, losing the love that they had for their mother. Of course. Of so course. So to me, that's just criminal. How do you do that to kids? My did, gosh. Did they come after you? I mean, have they tried to silence you? Oh, yeah. What do they do? <laughs> how, how have they tried? Well, for that one, they sent their lead attorney after me uh, to do a deposition on a case that I had nothing to do with at all. But I agreed to do it for the attorney because he needed a favor from them. <laughs> But it was interesting. They had hardly any questions, of course, about the case when I got there. Uh, But they did want to know why I was looking into the case of a federal judge who shot his wife and himself. At that point, I knew which antidepressant he was taking. (laughs) And then they said... Isn't it true that you're the one that called the Hartman family the day of their deaths? (laughs) I said, no, it was the day after. And I said, why didn't you make the call? Why me? Who made it my responsibility? 
why aren't you concerned enough about what your drug is doing that you're out there following up on these cases? Because the next person that dies could be your wife, your son, your daughter. Mm. So, uh, when when did it, this drug become? When did it come into widespread use? What, what decade? Well, it was introduced here in America the end of '87. I think it was December of 87 they introduced it. But, of course, before that, there's a couple of years where you run all the trials and the the clinical trials. Right. So people started taking it even back as far as 85. Could you, have you, have you tried to chart it where you could, where you could chart the occurrences of these mass shootings or increase in incidents and suicides since the introduction of the drug? Oh, yes. And there's a, a noticeable spike af- after 1987? Oh, yes, definitely. We've got an impact on our website. If you go to the scroll bar across the top, the blue bar across the top, the last, the very last choice will be SSRI Stories, and that is a database of cases where it's documented, what they were on. There's about 5,000 cases there. Now there. I mean, there have been mass killings prior. I, I, I think of, uh, let's say, for example, Richard Speck in 1966. He climbed the, uh, the clock tower at the University of Texas with a rifle and, and killed eight, eight women. Um, how do right. we then account for something like that? He was on something, too. He was? Oh, yeah. Richard Speck was. What do we know? Yes, what would, he was what on was a he drug on? that would affect serotonin as well. Fascinating. So, yeah, and in fact, uh, with him, as I read his case, it was just identical. No, he was, he couldn't understand why he was doing what he was doing. Um, He loved his mother very much. He loved his wife. He killed them both. Um, And then goes on a shooting spree. It, It just, it's awful. And, in fact, I don't know if I mentioned to you before, we had a case of a New York investigator, police investigator, who was given the drugs, um, I think it was after the birth of a baby. He became very anxious, you know, new dad, first baby. And the doctor gave him an antidepressant. He should have just given him a good night's sleep. But anyway, he took it for several years and then decided he really wanted to get off of the drug. Well, he came off too fast. You have to come off of these very gradually and take a very long time to wean off. But anyway, he didn't know that, and he came down too quickly and then several months later, the withdrawal, the worst of the withdrawal, really hits you because these drugs accumulate at a very high rate in the brain tissue. I, I um, was talking about the, uh, the University of Texas uh, shooting back in 1966, and I said Richard Speck, of course, which was an entirely different um, mass murder. It was Charles Whitman 
Whitman right. was the, uh, the Texas shooter. And, and uh, I just found his, his suicide note online. I just wanted to read this because it's eerie, because it basically mirrors exactly what you're saying. Whitman writes, I do not really understand myself these days. I'm supposed to be an average, reasonable, and intelligent young man. However, lately, I cannot recall when it started. I have been a victim of many unusual and irrational thoughts. After one session, mm-hmm. after one session, I never saw the doctor again, and since then I have been fighting my mental turmoil alone and seemingly to no avail. After my death, I wish that an autopsy would be performed on me to see if there is any visible physical disorder. Fascinating. Same thing that Jeffrey Dahmer said. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. What was Dahmer taking? Prozac. He was taking Prozac. But he was also exposed in the womb, oh. which is definitely going to add to the problem. Interesting. His mother was on 23 pills a day while she was pregnant. Most of those were antidepressants. What causes some people, when their brain is awash in serotonin, to take their own life versus lash out in, in, in a mass shooting? Good question. It can really go just about either way, but with these, generally, they'll end up taking their own life, too, if they get a chance. If they get caught before they get a chance to take their own life, then... But that's one thing I said to the FDA when I testified to them. I said, can you remember back when suicidal people used to just go off alone somewhere and take their life? instead of killing everyone around them and then themselves, like they do on these drugs, the homicidal and suicidal ideation go hand in hand when it's produced by these drugs. But, you know, there's one other thing. I didn't finish the other story, did I? (laughs) There's also head injury that plays a big part in this. That can make someone extremely vulnerable. Uh Okay. To yes. these drugs. No, you're right. We were talking about the New York. Uh, was it a, a, a right? The New police? York investigator. Yeah, that was my fault. We uh, I interrupted. No, you for it's a break. okay. Okay. Yes. Um, so he had. A, he was a, a new father. Right. Uh, he was a new father and took the drug for a while, and then he came off too quickly. Yes. And several months later, it's when the withdrawal, the worst of the withdrawal, kicked in. And he thought, Oh, I'm going to have to go back on these. He was only back on them for nine days because each time you take them, you it's like a synergistic effect. It hits you harder each time. Anyway, nine days later, he was driving somewhere to pick up a friend to play with his daughter, and he stopped the car on the way, got out, went to the trunk of his car, and got his police revolver and shot himself in the head. Oh, dear. His mother was totally upset. I mean, she she was so upset, she got put on the drugs. And somehow, the son was able to get through to her. I mean, I don't know how everybody feels about someone who's dead coming back, but this mother swears her son came to her and said, Mom, I need your help. And... (laughs) She said, how can I help you? You're dead. And he said, Mom, I didn't mean to do it. And that was enough to get her 
to start investigating the drugs, take herself off, and she has been fighting for getting the information out about these ever since. Uh, in the Stephen Paddock case, the, the Vegas uh, shooting, and we still know so little about it. It's, it's unprecedented. I know. The secrecy surrounding this case. Um, so much more Makes going on sick. here that, than we know. But, uh, and I have to say, assuming it was Stephen Paddock, because I'm not even quite convinced of that, quite frankly. Right. Uh, but if it was Paddock, um, he was reportedly taking Valium or something. Was he not? Yes, he was taking Valium. And Valium can produce this as well, but not anywhere near to the extent that these antidepressants do. What I wonder with him, because he had recently moved from Florida, where that has been one of the areas where there's just a huge amount of use of these drugs there. So he had recently moved from there, and I'm wondering if he came off his antidepressant too quickly, and that's why he felt he needed Valium or ended up on Valium, because you go into extreme anxiety as part of the withdrawal. So he could have been in antidepressant withdrawal when it happened, if he was the one, like you said, right. who knows? Right. That that case is just bizarre. Beyond, beyond bizarre. Um, yeah. One but of the things I like don't... I said, the head injury too. Oh yes, yes. That Let's is explore something that. that's not being warned against. The only antidepressant I know of that actually has very strong warnings on it for people who've had any head injury is Wellbutrin. And the last I heard, 75% of those who have played football have had head injuries. That's a whole lot of men that are in a position that is really scary if they're given one of these drugs. Well, and another high-profile case, well, one that just happened was um, Donald Trump Jr.'s hunting partner who was an ex-49er San Francisco 49er and he had to quit playing football because of a very very serious head injury his name was Jason Harrison but um, the head injury was so bad that he actually cracked a couple of vertebrae in his neck oh dear and so, so that in combination with a drug... Uh, right, and he syrup. just committed suicide wow. this last week. Well, while you were mentioning that, it also occurred to me another sort of uh, dangerous career path. Former wrestlers, professional wrestlers, right? Uh, the number of those that have been committing suicide uh, is just... I mean, and yes, ex-footballers as well, but... but, but Professional wrestlers seem to be uh, taking their own lives at an incredible rate, and I would and think I didn't have so many names in my brain. I could tell you the one that I know was on Zoloft when he killed his family and himself. He was a professional wrestler. Oh my gosh, I've forgotten his yes. name, and I talked to his dad quite a bit too. Oh uh, well. <laughs>
Um, anyway, you're right. Chris Benoit. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, that was about 10 years ago. That was a, a, yeah. a Canadian Canadian uh, boy. Horrible, horrible story. Yeah, and he had just started on Zoloft when this happened. So, but also Roseanne Barr. Roseanne, I worked with her parents for years. Um, she had a terrible head injury when she was only 16. She was actually hit by a car, pedestrian, car pedestrian accident, and the hood ornament lodged in her forehead. Oh, my dear Lord. Yeah, so it was a really serious head injury, and Roseanne had horrible reactions to Prozac. I mean, the world still talks about some of her reactions that she had to Prozac, but they didn't know that was what it was. But she falsely accused her parents of sexually molesting her when she was only six months old. And then in 2009, she went on Oprah with her mom, who's an absolute angel. Uh, if there's ever been an angel to walk the earth, it's Roseanne Barr's mom. What a sweetheart. But she, they were on the show together, and Roseanne very humbly said... This was the biggest mistake I have ever made in my life, and it was caused by my medication. I was just so glad that her mother was finally able to hear that. Right. But what made me sick was her father passed away before he got to hear it. Ah, so he didn't... Uh, I'm, it had to have broken he, his heart. Yes, I'm... Oh, devastating. But it's a ter- those kinds of terrible things happening to families... I mean, look at all the relationships destroyed, and it's just, it's wrong. Is there, are there any plans for a huge class action lawsuit against these big drug companies? Not that I know of, but I know there's sure enough people clamoring, wanting one. I hear it all the time, saying, you know, I've been robbed of years of my life. Isn't there some kind of justice for this which is true i mean somebody comes off of these after 10 20 years going uh where have i been all this time after these mass shootings in in places like parkland do you you ever asked or or, or do you ever go in and and try to speak to these to these uh, you know the survivors of of the parents and and try to tell them listen we're you're barking up the wrong tree this isn't about gun control this is about serotonin. Well, um, yeah, I've tried. I mean, I was pretty much the expert in the Columbine case, worked with many of those families. Um, they were scared off. There, were, there was one boy that sued them for causing Columbine. He took six to seven, six to 13 bullets in the chest. and barely survived and he sued them but there were five other families that wanted to join the suit but they were told by the attorneys if you do not win in court we will come after you for everything that you have they told the survivors that yes they said we've already lost our loved ones we can't afford to lose everything else so they walked away 
Mark was the only one that went after them, and you know what they've done to him? No. What did they do? About 10 years ago, Mark got all kinds of interest from the FDA board that listened to him testify. They came down and shook his hand to congratulate him and thank him for coming to testify to them, and he had raked them over the coals. (laughs) He basically just said, where were you when I and all of my classmates got shot? Exactly. Why weren't you doing your job? If you were, this would not have happened. That concludes part one of my two-part conversation with Anne Blake Tracy. Now, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a moment to tell you a little bit about an upcoming episode. I want to tell you about something I discovered recently called Carbon 60. I call it the Miracle Molecule. Now, you might remember an interview I did recently with a researcher, Chris Burris, who's looking to help people who experience pain, inflammation, loss of sleep, or lost mental acuity with his new C60 company, C60Evo.com. He has a product which is a consumable form of Carbon 60 called ESS60 that's been proven in peer-reviewed, published research to extend the lifespan of test rats by 90% while allowing them to live tumor-free. That's pretty amazing. Those rats were given the C60Evo.com formula. The formula is a powerful antioxidant, 172 times more powerful than vitamin C, and it's known to be a powerful anti-inflammatory. C60 is based on Nobel Prize winning chemistry. I highly recommend ESS60. The mighty Aphrodite and I take a tablespoon every morning and we're both pain-free and sleeping better than ever. Discover the benefits of Carbon 60. I call it the miracle molecule, ESS60, from C60Evo.com. Now, make sure to use the coupon code RS1SPEC. That's RS1SPEC for a special Christmas discount. Buy today at C60Evo.com. That's C. 60evo.com and don't forget the code RS1SPEC. This product has not been assessed by the FDA and is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider. Coming up next time on Conspiracy Unlimited, part two of my two-part conversation with Anne Blake Tracy, the author of Prozac, Panacea or Pandora, Our Serotonin Nightmare. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats, we need. We need constant petting.